and welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Where you at? <laughs> Seattle? Uh, no, you don't understand. Is that the call and response that you were looking for? <laughs> H, you don't seem to understand. I have decided to really start building my brand on here, Playwright, and of course the larger Canon mm, Rinse Network. Of course. I have to be known for a catchphrase, and what that catchphrase will be is kind of amorphous, so I'm just going to try ones throughout maybe this episode and the next 30, 40 episodes, and really just give the audience a feel for it and just wait for the listeners to kind of write in and tell me, that's the one, baby, that's what's going to hit. <laughs> of course, um, I've uh, I've said on Twitter before that my uh, my sitcom catchphrase, which I kind of hap- uh, stumbled into, and once you once you stumble into it, it's hard to stumble out. Is uh, unfortunately, these almonds are too salty, which doesn't have a lot of applications, admittedly. So it's really up to the writers to try to find creative ways to work it in. Yeah, I guess. But you know what? If I just if I came at you with how you doing today, and you said these almonds are too salty. I, I think I would be in for that. I'd be there. <laughs> something like a, a wizened old man would say, you know, be like the almonds, <laughs> salty and covered in vinegar. And you know what I always say? Swink, swank, swoosh. <laughs> oh, let's, uh, let's keep trying. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, let's, let's get to some video game pitches. So I'll go first today. The game that I am uh, I'm pitching today is an adventure game style uh, puzzle a sequence of puzzles in which you play kind of a a creature that hops in and out of dreams and has to help people escape from common nightmare scenarios, such as appearing in school, having forgotten to put on your clothes, or being unprepared to take an exam. And uh, what form this takes is up to us to decide, but uh, that's the, the basic overall gist of it. So I'm going to start the clock there, see where it takes us. So... Just to confirm, I am able to go into other people's dreams in this game, yes? I'd like to think of like each dream as kind of being like a level in and of itself. And so you are playing the dreamer in this scenario. And so you can do whatever it takes, whether it's kind of a standard point and click adventure or whether it's more of a more of a 3D adventure type of game, Uh, just doing whatever it takes to get out of each of these nightmares. So in the case of, uh, I do, yeah, of course I was going to go to the example of being naked in a place. I also weirdly have a dream where I'm ha- like, my teeth are falling out. Isn't that a strange That's dream? That's a pretty common one. That dream freaks me the hell out, man. There's a lot of like tooth horror if you study dreams and like common dream interpretation and stuff like that. It's some sort of a... really. Uh, it's like an anxiety thing. It's like losing control over aspects of your life. Oh, no. All right. You know, it's just things that uh, we just always count on being there, right? Right. That's true. That's true. Right. You think you can count on your teeth, but if you couldn't, what a scenario you'd be in. Okay. So do you, are you imagining this level by level almost as like maybe longer form WarioWare style games? Uh, I'd want each level to really be something you can, I mean, for lack of a better term, sink your teeth into something that (laughs) your gums, something that has some real meat to it. And so, you know, maybe each level could be like the size of a Psychonauts level or something like that. Um, But another aspect that I wanted to bring into it is uh, 
there's a certain level of like dream logic that you can use to solve each of these puzzles. And uh, that's not to say that everything would feel kind of like random and absurd, but rather like if you are, it, it incorporates enough of the logic of the real world to where, you know, but there are like little kind of screwball elements as well that you just have to adapt to on the fly. So like if you are naked in school, then it's probably best to try to like kind of stealthily make your way towards the, you know, the locker rooms, because that's a place where it is appropriate to be naked at school uh, and then try to find some clothing or something. But, you know, there's going to be all sorts of of weird abstract challenges that kind of keep you from achieving that goal. Let's see, because I'm thinking like in one scenario, the one where I'm naked in school <laughs> and then I, I have to imagine that the I feel like a lot of dreams that somebody feels panicky or trapped in in some way are also dreams that maybe are often in the first person. Does that feel like the correct perspective for a game like this? That's never really felt clear to me. Like whenever I'm dreaming, I can never really remember back whether it is in the first person or not. Or if you've just got some sick angles in your dreams. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people do describe it as like kind of watching a movie more than actually being there. And, uh, you know, if you think back, like our own memories often take place like in the third person because we don't actually remember the like the data of the event itself happening we remember the story of it having had happened so you know every memory is kind of like a memory of a memory instead of like the the primary memory itself and dreams can work in similar ways sometimes so dreams allow us to transport to any place they allow us to see or maybe catalog the memories or experiences of a person is there like an underlying thread to all these dreams are we going to do some sort of meta narrative that uh once you kind of piece the meanings of a lot of these dreams together (laughs) it tells uh tells a tale of the character that we're inhabiting there's definitely like room to explore kind of the the collective unconscious this this shared dreaming space Kind of like I watched a movie, Paprika, the other day. It's a animated movie about um, about this machine that kind of manifests dreams that people can see. And then it brings elements from the dreams into the real world. And, and there's crossover between the dreams and it gets really messy. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting. It's quite good. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, there's, um, there's that. We can have a shared dreaming space that everybody goes to. It kind of operates under the same rules or kind of like Psychonauts, which is referenced earlier. Each level belongs to one character and we can find out a lot about that character from the way that their level is structured and then just kind of like move on to different characters and different sets of rules and expectations and memories and stuff as we move from level to level. So either way. I think that's interesting. And one of the things I kind of like about the idea of bouncing in between dreams or having a sort of dream space and even thinking about like a, a a crossover, if you will, you could do something where if the person's daydreaming or something, have sections <laughs> of the level take place in reality and not hmm. quite know the uh, the limits of what's appropriate to actually behave. It could kind of increase over time as the latter levels get towards more uh, I don't know, like maybe unstable mindsets where, yeah, that, that line of reality and, and dreaming is kind of blurred and you have to figure out as you go what, what represents a real obstacle and what is imagined in a way. This does set up very nicely the concept of introducing the Freddy Krueger DLC. 
that you're looking to monetize because now we can finally be the dream warriors. How do you imagine? Because like, I know that there is the concept of if somebody can sort of realize that they're dreaming, they could have a lucid dream where they realize that it's a dream and they can kind of bestow upon themselves something akin to superpowers. Could you see that being a mechanic in this? Possibly. Maybe you're always kind of working towards uh, certain degrees of lucidity you know, maybe you can only regain control of your actions when your anxieties have been quelled. And so, you know, as you achieve the goals that you have uh, set for yourself throughout the level, then, um, you know, it becomes easier to uh, to take direct control. Some of the, I guess, maybe elements that represent anxieties or personal fears or phobias start to be phased out that you can kind of see. Yeah, you can see things for the way they are a little bit more and maybe even bring in some powerful elements yourself. That would be really cool. Like a it's almost like a micro Resident Evil type of experience where everything every dream maybe starts off akin to a horror game mm-hmm. but at some point transitions into sort of an insane Saints Row like character action game. Maybe it could go in either direction. And neither direction would preclude it from being solvable, but based on how you do kind of early on in the the dream and the choices that you make, it could either become more terrifying or more liberating. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So am I going to learn the path, like going through these and kind of end up locking things in and be like, I know how to play this level? Or do you imagine some of these things are going to be randomized or swapped up from time to time? Or maybe there's no clear way to to do these things. For this purpose, I think it would make more sense to have an authored experience, you know, and because you want everything to kind of have meaning and purpose. And presumably there would be voice acting and such involved. And so, you know, having that be kind of left up to the randomization engine uh, might uh, not get the most out of the experience. That's cool. Okay. So we have a sort of authored narrative game playing through a dream and then some either a mechanic or or an actually authored moment where uh, a person can sort of fight back or become empowered in the middle of this mm-hmm. sort of anxiety-inducing world. That's neat. Let's go ahead and close that down and let's come up with a name for it. There's a few dream-related games already, of course, Nights and Dreams is a big one. And of um, course, Dreams. <laughs> dreams, right? The That uh, that good PlayStation 3 game that we're still waiting for. <laughs> That's right. Um, I wonder if there's something... That you could do like a reference, like Rapid Eye or something like that. <laughs> Rapid Eye 007. Rapid Eye 007. You know, this is kind of interesting because there's that like moment of lucidity. Mm-hmm. The Wikipedia entry for Dream literally refers to just stages of sleep. Maybe, maybe that's kind of a cool title. I actually like just that word lucidity is kind of nice as well. Lucidity is cool. It has a, has a very pleasant sound to it. And that is kind of what you're fighting for. And what you have uh, surrendered, given the premise. I like that. Let's let's use that and let's go on to another pitch. Q, what are you bringing us today? So a lot of my ideas lately have been putting games inside of other games. I know that I've pitched okay. things like this before, but I was thinking about... I was recently taught the game 
Mancala. Uh, do you know this game? Have you played Mancala before? It doesn't sound familiar to me. So you've seen it probably a thousand times. It is a uh, sort of pill-shaped board with a series of like eight little holes or buckets, and there are little stones filling every single bucket. And the way Mancala works is you have to get all the stones off of your side and put them into your opponent's side by taking a handful of one bucket at a time and distributing each stone in that bucket uh, linearly across the stones in order. So if you Google a Mancala board for reference, I think that will help you with the pitch mm-hmm. as we, right. we go for it. So I wanted to try Mancala, but potentially against some sort of evil computer or AI you're playing against. And every time you want to place a stone, you take your stones and place them in an enemy sort of container that potentially you have to play around of something like Smash TV or the hacking minigame <laughs> from Nier to like successfully deposit your stone. And if you have a lot of stones to deposit and you want to deposit one in each of the sort of opponent's side, then you have to play a series of levels that get harder and harder to make those deposits. If not, they end up back on your side. And of course, it's going to be hard to empty out your side of the board. All right, let's start the clock there. All right, so for the general flow of the game, this does look familiar, but if I have played it, it's been many, yeah, many years. So, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, so general flow of the game does the game tend to end with moving large amounts of stones or does it tend to end with like trying to move remaining like single stones? That's a good question. I So I certainly think that gathering up larger numbers of stones because stones become, if you can um, string them together properly, they become deposited in your sort of little bank. Mm. Um, and so the over time there would be less and less stones on the board. Okay. And I was thinking if we want to make kind of a gameplay moment out of each of these, um, I, I wouldn't want to do anything that was as maybe decisive as, uh, I mean, to take away from the overall strategy of the game, um, mm-hmm. because from the looks of it, like the game is played in such a way that, you know, the the numbers mean something. And so if you were to play a a smart move and then make a bad gameplay decision would that kind of like ruin the strategy of the game or is that just something you have to kind of take into account? Yeah, it's interesting because the game is so simple that it always ends up mostly coming down to can you count and can you keep track of like how many stones are in each of your little buckets and how many therefore spaces will you distribute Mm -hmm. the stones? Maybe I think Trying to do multiple placements inside of your enemy's camp is potentially the wrong way to sort of scale the levels. Maybe there's a second scaling, which is the more stones that you have in your bank, which is, would be the higher your score, the more difficult levels become for you. So that way you kind of try and like smooth out somebody who's doing well versus somebody who is doing poorly. Yeah, In a way, this sounds a lot like the rules to risk. Um, the kind of board game about conquering the world one country at a time, uh, because it's all about, you know, having, having loads of armies or stones or whatever your, your play pieces are and kind of distributing them. But as you distribute them, maybe there's some kind of disadvantage to having fewer on a particular spot. I was uh-huh. thinking, you know, for, for gameplay purposes, 
if this was kind of like a strategy type of thing, then each space could represent like a city on a continent or a planet in a solar system or something. And as you move stones across the board, then you are kind of invading enemy spaces and you have to choose how many, I don't know, people to send into being unfamiliar with the rules. You're going to have to guide this one a little bit. Yeah. So see if it's onto anything. I think that is kind of onto something. One of the things that once you started saying that, I tried to pay attention to my mind if like towards the end of a game of Mancala, like if there should be the end of a game, at least typically for when I play against Jessica, is that one or both opponents just have a single stone to kind of move through like half of their you know, board in order to get it deposited in their bank. So you can only move kind of, every stone can only move one space at a time. So if you have two stones, um, you place it in the next one. And then the one after that, if you have three, you place them in the next three. But if you only have one, it just has to keep hopping one at a time. Um, so maybe because that is kind of, that's like the potentially easiest thing to manage maybe or that's a good predictor of if you're towards the end of the game when there's fewer pieces that is when potentially it's like much harder to move um one piece uh, than it is to move multiple pieces because let's say let's say the number of pieces that are already in an existing or that you're trying to move are like the sort of number of hits or lives that you can take in into this kind of smash tv level that you have to survive could be something so the game is primarily like the primary goal is movement more than like like what happens if you move your stones onto like an occupied spot or is there such a thing yeah so what you want to do is i'm actually looking at a board right now so there's six kind of slots on each side and then on the left and right there are banks so every time you pick up you always have to pick up every stone in a container you can only pick up uh, stones on your side of the container. This is actually fun. If anybody wants to go out and get Mancala, it's, it is a kind of cool game and it's it's got quick rounds, which of course I'm slowing down by adding in this extra layer to it. But um, you have to pick up everything in the container and then you can only place one stone uh, at a time in each of the next containers. But you can't actually win the game with any stones in any of your containers. So you want to end with an empty side and more stones in your bank, essentially. And you can deposit a stone in your bank sort of each round or loop that you make of the whole board. Okay. Hmm. (laughs) I know it's a little... Maybe I'm not describing it well, so it's (laughs) tough to visualize. So are there rules that you have to distribute them evenly or are you always kind of pushing them away from you? Yeah. So you do have to, you have to distribute them uh, evenly. You have to go one at a time. And uh, essentially when you, so let's say uh, I'll do a really simple one. There are three slots uh, and each of them have uh, three beads in them. When I take the first bead or, or the first bucket out or the first slot out, then I distribute one in the next one, a second in the next one, and then let's say my bank is at the end, and that's kind of like the largest mm-hmm. slot. So that gets me one point. I put one in the bank, I now have one empty slot, and I have two slots that started with three, but now both have four in them. When it's my turn again, I can pick up one of those 
uh, with four in it and then kind of march it along in the same tradition of like, okay, now the next one has five, my bank has two points, and then the other enemy side potentially has one bead in it because you can't put more than one point in your bank at a time. Essentially, the idea is to, and, and the enemy kind of skips your bank, so the enemy can only kind of like put stuff in their own, kind of deposit their own coffers. Mm, okay. So you're trying to end up with planning out the number of beads that are going to be in each slot in order to make a deposit in your bank, but also have enough beads so that when the enemy is becoming like empty, essentially, and there's no beads on their side, you can deposit beads. Therefore, they can't win because there's actually beads on their side. So you have to be both empty and have the most points. And I think like as a game progresses, and I know we're probably at time here, but I guess we spent a lot of time describing Mexico. Every time maybe you go to score a point, you could either cue the sort of mini game. But I, what I think would be interesting is if you just do pure counting, it's not that the game feels like it's totally per chance. You are trying to follow what's going on in the board. But at the end of a game, you can be really sort of <laughs> cheap, in other words, and take two beads and literally deposit one all the way at the end of the enemy's board. And they would have to slowly but surely move that thing along and it would take them six turns to do so. Um, and you can kind of like, if you have less than six uh, six holes filled, you can just score a point. So something around that, and certainly listeners, feel free to write in, that makes that kind of mechanic nigh impossible. Mm, okay, so... <laughs> hey, this I did it, I stumped you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to come to terms with the... I feel like once I would play a game, then I would definitely understand fully what's going on here. You you would. So what aspects of the game are necessary to the experience that we wouldn't want to is interfere with with the gameplay portion of it with the with the added bit? I think what's really cool about the game is the ability to stack beads inside of each other. So the the ability for one slot to start off with four beads But if you're patient and you don't take the beads out of that slot and choose to move those beads, that slot can amass beads um, from either your previous slots, the slots that are to the left of it, or if uh, your opponent has gone and distributed enough so that they've wrapped around and put beads in there, you could potentially save, you know, 10, 12 beads in a single slot and manage to score two points by making a full loop around the board twice. Okay. So the... The concept of being able to do that is really cool, but I think it, that more rewards patience and less so skill, right? So I think in some mechanic to whether it's scaling the difficulty on like some sort of skill based, can you survive twitchy thing that wouldn't take more than like 10 to 30 seconds to see the result of could be a really cool way of like bringing some frantic action to a game that's otherwise enjoyed over a nice Sunday morning coffee. Nice. All right. So you could be like distributing cells of fuel to different spaceships or Ah. some sort of resources across, I don't know what, or, you know, soldiers in an army, something like that. Or they could be soldiers themselves, right? Like if you manage to, 
uh, amass enough sort of beads, right. you can really distribute your army all over the place. Okay. Well, I hate to do this, but we are out of time. So ah, that's all right. I'm not sure how much progress. <laughs> oh, I certainly didn't make two laps around the board on that one, but <laughs> I don't know. What do you want to call it? Maybe that would give us some direction as to what it is. Yeah. And you know what? I'm not sure either. I knew this was going to be a challenging one for us and I just was too curious not to try it. Why don't we call it something <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> well, let's, we could go very spammy with it and do something like Clash Mancala or Mancala Clash or something. I was just thinking of uh, in, in Star Wars, Admiral Akbar is a part of the race of uh, Mon Calamari, I believe it was. So oh. it makes me think like, are they named after the board game or <laughs> just Calamari? Because that feels like a mean joke to play on a race of fish people. Well, there you go. We license the whole thing and you call it Mon Calamari. Yeah. <laughs> Star Wars Man Calamari. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a... Terrible. And yet... <laughs> it's a very obscure pull. <laughs> but that's what Star Wars fans like. Cater to the obscure. Always. All right. Well, Pokemon Calamari. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> just keep building that. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and get to the community and see what all of you have to say today. This one comes from Jason Esty. Jason Esty says, Hi again. Here's a very loose pitch that's based off a dream I had. You're standing in a stone corridor. It's lit with only a few torches, with long stretches of pitch black between them. You hear animal-like shrieks and shuffling ahead. The monster's backlit forms dart across the torches, casting long, shifting shadows on the walls. Whatever they are, they're attracted to the light. The only thing with you are glowing orbs in your hand. When you throw one, it smashes and lights up a small area where it landed. You realize that for the long sections between the torches, you have to use the orbs to light your way. But to avoid attracting the creatures with the light, you have to throw the orbs far ahead of you. And in this way, you slowly move forward, staying in the dark with a torch or orb flickering in the distance as shadows of monsters dart across the walls. And that's it. Wanted to pitch just the visual and see where you guys take the rest. Thanks, as always, for making such an awesome podcast. Thank you very much, Jason. Let's go ahead and start that one off. Cool. Yeah. I mean, first, thank you, Jason. We we, <laughs> we love you. We appreciate you. I think it would be kind of cool to... We're saying that the... He's sort of saying that the monsters could be attracted to the light. I love the idea of being able to manipulate the light in some way, whether it's through like... You know, isn't there some some like basic chemistry demo, which is when you add a chemical to fire, it like changes the color of fire? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the what's interesting about this pitch is that it it deals with not having full visual information and just kind of operating based on uh, based on your best guess as to where things are located, which is definitely cool. Um, this makes me think of uh, I was playing Soma last week. And, uh, have you played that one before? Uh, just a little bit at the beginning. Uh, there are portions of it that take place in a, I don't want to necessarily get into the location. If that's a spoiler, it might not be, you find out pretty quickly where you're located, but, uh, you, you do at one point venture out into a space that is very dark and lit by, by these kind of like stepping stone lights that mm. are uh, you kind of few and far between, and then within the darkness lurks some uh, some things you don't want to run into. And there's something kind of you know obviously kind of scary of like running between lights 
but this pitch has the has kind of a an interesting element to it where the the monsters in the darkness are attracted to the light and so instead of those being the points of safety those are almost like more dangerous than the space that you can't see so uh-huh. if the light is attracting the monsters and let's say just as an experiment, we can throw this out entirely. Let's say that your character is also attracted to the light, and the only way to move forward is to toss one of these light diodes out there. And so at, at you know any given time, the closest light diode is attracting monsters and your character. And so you can either, you know, you're trying to work towards a goal uh, at the end of a maze or at the end of a a wide open space or whatever it is. So as you're attract as you're exploring a dark space, you um you can send those those nodes, those light nodes out there to attract the beasts to try to get a sense of where they're located uh while I guess making sure that you don't lure your own creature into a trap. Maybe it's too complicated. I'm thinking about there's a sort of a 2D horror echo game i'm trying to think of what it is called but you're able to kind of see footsteps and stuff as little sound waves interesting i think it could be cool um (laughs) assuming i can uh (laughs) figure out i think oh i think it's called blindia b-l-i-n-d-i-a and you can kind of see sound bouncing around from things that are making noise and it, it may not be blind idea, but it's totally one of those games where you're only seeing things in the abstract and something that is entirely powered by light is pretty interesting to think about. Like maybe there's a way to see things in the abstract too, because like when a creature or you get close to the light, if you were really detailed in your lighting system, if you turn up your, your ray tracing on your NVIDIA graphics card, <laughs> light bounces off of objects, right? Potentially there's like puzzles and objects that you need to find that reflect light or bounce light off. And not in the sort of Zelda puzzle way of like literally a beam of light reflecting, but just like mm-hmm. a material or a texture that uh, is refractive in some way could be could be cool to do some puzzle solving with you know one of the effects that i always love is when um usually it's done with uh, to kind of signify like what your character can and can't see so if you've been playing like ape out or uh what is it called uh darkwood um does this as well so you know as you are peering around a corner the colored space on the floor and the enemies only can appear within the uh the the cone of vision unobstructed by walls and so in ape out especially has a really lovely effect of kind of the world um and hallways kind of coming in and out of existence as you are aligned with them you know what i'm talking mm. about <laughs> they kind of like bloom and then close up um oh, instead of okay yeah you know, because uh yeah it's all kind of based on like what your character can see uh based on like where walls are and so everything has this kind of like blooming effect as it goes. And so, um, you know, if, if each point, uh, another uh, thing from the pitch that I thought was interesting is that most of the information comes from the shadows being cast on the walls. And that's, that's a cool element. And I'm not 
exactly sure how that would work in 2D to be able to see all the walls unless we want to get like really kind of like MC Escher or impressionist or uh, kind of abstract and, you know, bend all the walls towards the player so that, you know, he or she can see everything at once. Um, but that is definitely, it's interesting and having to judge the size of shadows and how close you think or like where you think that puts the enemy in the 3D space uh, uh, based yeah. on that. It's kind of cool. I also like the idea of potentially having something where you are, you know, we talked about being attracted to the light, but it's not entirely clear what what sort of movement control I have over my character. It would be very interesting if like wherever the light was sourced, I'm just continuously being like pulled towards. Yeah. And maybe you do have some control of it. Uh, you can kind of push against your instincts in a way, but it's always easier kind of like a, like a wind in video games. Sometimes it's easier to walk in accordance with it than to try to walk against it. And so that way, if you get into environments where potentially there was a creature looking around like alien isolation style, you get into a situation where based on that creature's movement, you're being pulled into a particular direction, which could be really nerve wracking if you're trying to escape. Maybe there's some way you can like fight against it or something. You know what I was thinking of is uh, Dark Souls 2, which I've been playing again recently for like the 13th time or something like that. But uh, there's a there's an enemy, a boss in the DLC that is an invisible tiger and mm -hmm. there is a way to like make it not invisible later on, but you can fight it while it is invisible. And uh, there's even an invisible boss in Dark Souls 1 as well. And so, you know, throughout the series. Um, and then Sounds there's relaxing. Kind of little, <laughs> <laughs> there's little hints as to where the boss is located at any time, because obviously that's very important information. But I was just thinking of like how cool it would be to be in like a 3D room, like a big big open room like a zelda type of room and to have an invisible enemy like a flying dragon or something that you know is in the room somewhere but the only thing that you can see is the shadow that it casts against the wall from one one um source of light and then maybe as you install more sources of light they can cast shadows in the opposite uh opposite shade you know because if there's like a red light and a blue light then and they're like placed in different locations, then yeah. the the shadow coming from the red light will be a blue shadow, and then the shadow coming from the blue light will be a red shadow because it's blocking the other color. Uh, you know how that all works. Yeah, one of the things I think is cool about that is you could, if you were like honoring the way that light actually works on those things, then you can get yourself into sort of managing how strong the shadows are, right? Like the more you have as far as um, light sources go, you do get multiple shadows, but those shadows all do become weaker, right? Because they're illuminated in right. some meaningful way. So potentially by installing those additional light sources, you're also stopping the shadows from sort of uh, repelling you away from certain areas as you're able to make them weaker. Very interesting. Uh, you know, we got a lot of ideas out there, but, uh, you know, again, I feel like this whole episode, we're just kind of like circling... <laughs> That's okay. Circling the prey and not striking, which is okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's okay to, uh, to just get some ideas out there. And um, we'd love to hear from the community if you have any more input into uh, the things that we've we've done today, because 
These are by no means finished, and uh, we'd be yeah very happy to hear if there's other directions you would take these. Uh, so let's close it down. Let's come up with a name for this one. Is uh, is shadow boxing a term? Does that mean something? I've definitely heard. It I think before. shadow boxing means yeah, like punching the kind air of fits or what something. You're doing <laughs> shadow boxing is kind of cool. I mean, shadow boxing is also like I think a renderer's term for. Just like very simple oh. geo- geometry, like textureless stuff. I could be. Oh, you know, I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like the global illumination stuff. Right. Gray boxing, they might call it. I've, yeah, I've heard that as well. What are some cool light words? What are the types of lights that you can put into? I'm thinking of what is that word like penumbra, which is like the shadow of a shadow, or like oh, the yeah, edge of a cool. shadow, or something like that. The region in which only a portion of light of a light source is obscured by the occluding body. That seems like a pretty good so one. There's umbra, penumbra, and antumbra. <laughs> so there are in also in 3D rendering, this uh, could illuminate some more things. Mm-hmm. The types of lights that you can place in this scenes are spotlights, point lights, area lights, directional lights and all I think you should use all those type of lights in the game volume lights which are you know the stuff you see coming through like fog and that sort of mm-hmm. thing ambient lights which are the sort of lights that bounce off of surfaces and that sort of stuff you just call the game ambient occlusion which is <laughs> a term that gamers are familiar with that we probably couldn't define if you were to ask us directly <laughs> um yeah you could even say Ambient exclusion. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. Is that awful enough to, to ambient inclusion is also another terrible. I like, I like exclusion. It has a, I don't know, combative element to it. Plus you can't go, you can't stay in the shadows. You're drawn to light. Yeah. Let's go with ambient exclusion. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jason, for sending that in. And if you would like to submit something yourself, you can do so by going to playwrightcast.com slash pitch. You can email us at playwrightcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet us at playwrightcast. Special thank you to Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World, off that album, Blue Noise. And of course, to the Cane and Rinse Network, where you can listen to wonderful episodes of the Cane and Rinse podcast, Sound of Play, and The Sausage Factory. And hey, Jason and all the audience listeners. Stay stupid. <laughs> another uh, another good attempt. I kind of uh, I can warm up to that one. <laughs> Stay stupid. Pretty pretty decent, I think. A little confrontational, but that's uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, stupid is endearing. I hope in that context. Exactly right. Well, let's uh, let's go out of the show today <laughs> with a miniature pitch, and what I'm going to take us out with is a game where you have to take photographs of furniture for a furniture magazine, but in a very sensual manner, like it was an adult furniture magazine. Yeah. However that reads. (laughs) Well, we'll see you next week. Bye.